Well, manhood and womanhood. There was a guy one time walking along and he happened to come upon a lamp and he picked it up and he rubbed it and a genie popped out. He said, oh my gosh, I didn't know genies were real. And he goes, yeah, I'm real. He goes, but it's none of this three wish thing. You only get one wish. The guy goes, one wish. And he said, yeah, you only get one wish and you need to make it quick. And, and the guy looked at the genie and before he could even think, he said, um, okay, I, I own a condo in Hawaii and I'm tired of uh, flying. I hate flying. So I want a super highway from here to Hawaii built. And the genie looked at him and said, what? I've never heard a wish like that. That's an insane wish. And he goes, why? He goes, well, first of all, do you know how hard it is? He goes, do you know how much cement it would take, how much steel it would take to actually accomplish this? On top of that, do you know the government regulations for building highways and the bureaucracy I'm going to have to go through? He goes, I mean, first of all, how good a wish is that? And do you realize how difficult it is? And the guy said, well, I'm sorry. I'll I'll wish for something else. The genie said, go ahead. He said, I want to understand women. Jeannie goes, do you want your highway to be four lanes or? (laughs) You probably heard about the guys that that actually all of creation was caught up to stand before the Lord in heaven. And Jesus came out and said, there's there's so many of you and I'm glad you're here, but here's how I want to go into heaven. I, I want all of the men who are truly leaders in your home to stand right here and you're going to go in first. And here's billions of people standing there and no one makes a move. Finally, one guy walks over and stands in the line. And Jesus looked at him and said, so, you were the leader of your home? He said, no, I didn't hear the question. My wife told me to stand here. Uh, (laughs) I love that one. And you know what? I get to load all these jokes all this salt time that I wouldn't tell to everybody, so it's great. Um, Manhood is under attack today. It's not only under attack, it's being destroyed. And I want you to think about that because actually I want to say that from the vantage point of being a a youth pastor, uh, it's something that was apparent to me for the last 10 or 15 years. I saw more than ever young guys being assaulted and we're actually going to go to a study that talked about that. For me, that was kind of interesting because I want to tell you that I had a great father and I would say he definitely was a man. My dad also was in the Air Force and, and you know what? I was around a lot of men who I would consider men. And yet today we're seeing an absence of that happening, and it's scary. Our culture is attacking men. And by the way, our culture is attacking men to the point that when men try to be men, uh, it's seen as uh, something horrible and something to be shot down and something that is demeaning to women or is not accepting and tolerant. And, And by the way, none of that should be true when we understand what a true man is. But there's a cultural mindset when men try to stand up and be men, it's under attack constantly. We see this in lots of ways. Uh, For instance, there's a bill that actually was passed in the state of California and signed. And our school systems are going to have to wrestle through what to do this. Uh, But but listen to what it is. It's called SB777, which is amazing to me. It has sevens in it. It ought to be SB666. Um, But you know what that bill says? It says that they're not allowed to have gender association in the schools in the state of California. In other words, if this bill were truly to be enacted and taken seriously, there should be no men's and women's restroom. It should say that all sports are open to either group. Uh, It should say that, by the way, to say that a guy can't go into particular showers or a girl can't, just because they don't want to do anything. No more homecoming queen. It just has to be a homecoming person. And, uh, and, and the desire behind it is that the idea of calling people out based on gender is just wrong. And 
By the way, uh, uh, we'll check into this a little bit more. But you know what? You were born with a certain bent if you're a man. Uh, uh, psychologists uh, for years have seen that. Sociologists have seen it. But manhood is under attack. For us to be successful in being the man that God wants us to be, and that's what we're going to be talking about for the coming weeks, we have to grab hold of certain things. And I want to challenge you to, to really write this down and ask, is this what you're going to do? And, and, and we have to agree there are certain things that will just mark us over the coming weeks. One is that we will have an attitude of perseverance. A real man perseveres. By the way, a real follower of God is a person who sticks with it. And so while I'm so glad you're here tonight, I'm going to ask you to do something. I'm going to ask you to commit to stick with us on this, to really be with us. Look what it says in Hebrews 12, 1 verses, uh, chapter 12, verses 1 to 3. It says, Therefore, since we have so great a cloud of witnesses surrounding us, let us lay aside every encumbrance and sin, which so easily entangles us. Notice what it says next. And let us run with endurance the race set before us, fixing our eyes on Jesus, the author and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, has sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. For consider him, Jesus, who has endured such hostility by sinners against himself so that you will not grow weary and lose heart. Now, the idea I want you to grab hold of out of that is when God says, I want you, when you begin to say you're going to be a follower of mine, I want you to stick to it. I don't want anything to knock you off. I don't want uh, any hostility, any attitude. I don't want you to let go of something. And so what I'm going to challenge you to do tonight, and you really pray about it, is to set a goal to say, I'm going to be here every week, and I'm going to dig into this. Now, by the way, I want to tell you, this is probably a little easier thing to ask you to do right now than many of the men's fraternity groups do. Because most men's fraternity groups that are meeting in this country today, and there are lots of them, they meet at 5 or 5.30 in the morning. You might ask, why are we doing it on Sunday night? Well, I'll tell you why. Uh, and, and here's the biggest reason. I think in Corona, many of you, if we met at five, you're on the road then. It excludes an incredible number of people because of our commuter society. Now, I know it's not easy to be here on a Sunday night knowing you got to get up that early. But, but what I'm saying is I really want to ask you to commit to persevere and stick with it. And to stick with the idea of saying, I want to hold on to what it means to be a man of God. I want to stand with that and I don't want to let go. So for us to be successful, we have to persevere. We have to have a stick to it attitude. For us to persevere, we have to have a willingness to share. Uh, at the end of our time tonight, it's going to be a little uncomfortable the first couple of weeks for some of you, but I'm going to ask you to do something where you actually get with a group of two, three, four, five, six, seven men, and you sit in a circle and get where you can look at each other and you share together. And for us to be successful, we need to do that. But what that's going to call for is a willing mind. A willing mind. And by the way, that's a, a something that God wants us to have. In First Chronicles 28 verse 9, it says this. It says, As for you, my son Solomon, know the God of your father and serve him with a whole heart and a willing mind. A willing mind. For the Lord searches all hearts and understands every intent of thoughts. If you seek him, he will let you find him. But if you forsake him, he will reject you forever. One of the things that God wants us to have if we're going to be successful in following him in any way, but especially in a desire to rise up to be the kind of people we're supposed to be, the kind of men we're supposed to be, is to say, God, you know what? I'm willing. I have a willing mind. I would never veer from this. I'm going to throw myself in. And, and here's the prayer we all ought to be praying. God, whatever you ask of me, whatever you want of me, I will do. I will never turn away. I will never veer from this. I will never let go of it. And when you pray a prayer like that and mean it, get ready for an amazing time with God. But the question that I want to have you ask is this. Right now, would you say you have a mind 
a mind that's willing to do whatever God wants you to do. And you say, God, if it's a little uncomfortable, I, I believe this is a way I could grow. I'll throw myself into it because I'm willing to do that. And so we need to have perseverance. We need to have a willing mind. And then the next thing we need is an honesty with self. An honesty with self. John 4, 24 is one we quote all over and over again. It says, God is spirit and those who worship him must worship him in spirit and truth. And you know what? The reality is, is that we need to, to say, I, God, I want to be honest about who I am. Analyze me. God, you just said, I just saw you say through the, David that you search the thought and the intention of the heart. So God, here I am. And help me to understand me. Help me to grab hold of it. And that, as we go on, for us to rise to be who we should be, we've got to look at ourselves with honest eyes. And we can't practice what's called self-deception. As a matter of fact, there's a realm of psychology called, ready, vital lies. It's lies people tell to themselves so they don't have to live up to who they really are. And uh, I'm not going to ask you to take on something that isn't true, but I am going to ask you to do something. As you face the truth of who you are, that and, and you put it in the hands of God, that truth will set you free. And you're going to find yourself overcoming things that might have been nagging at you or bothering you. But, but God wants you to do that. And, and so that's the great desire we have. Uh, we need to grab hold of something that will really allow us to change, or really how us do something. I, uh, uh, listening to Robert Lewis on this, he, he hit a section right now. I'm going to go ahead and steal from him. Uh, but it's called Strange Facts. I, it's facts that you may not know. Did you know, for instance, that that we don't know why, but a duck's quack cannot echo. Did you know that? You go to a place where there's an echo, like right now in here, but if there was a duck quacking, it wouldn't echo. I don't know why, but I thought I'd tell you that. That might be the best thing you get out of my time tonight. Um, how about this? You can lead a cow upstairs, but you can't lead it downstairs. Cows don't have the ability to walk downstairs. I don't know who tried that, but they were probably really sorry. Um, snails can sleep for three years and still be okay. That, I don't, that just seems wild. How about this? All polar bears are left-handed. That, that, it, now, how did anybody discover that? By the way, there was tax dollars spent studying that. And uh, every day, Americans eat 18 acres of pizza. 18 acres every single day in our country. And uh, it says that, he said this, it's physically not possible to lick your elbow. It's physically not possible. And, and another fact is that it's probably about 40% of you are going to get in your car and try. Um, <laughs> and you won't be successful. But there are 4 billion men on the planet, they estimate. I'm not sure how they came up with that number. But most of those men, the vast majority, cannot tell you what a man is. They can't tell you in a very succinct way. They can't tell you in a passionate way. They can't tell you in a compelling way what it really means to be a man. And, and what we're going to do is begin a study. And, and by the way, we're going to offer an opportunity later for you to go through three years of this if you choose. We'll actually only do one year on Sunday evenings. But the idea is we want to begin to, to look at that. We want to see what, what, what a time of study of men getting together can do. The transformation, the freedom it can bring. Uh, I, and you know what? I've seen this happen. And when I was a part of men's fraternity before at Christ Church of the Valley, I watched guys change. I watched a man who uh, was a grandfather walk up and say, you know, I never realized why I was this way, and I now have victory from it. I watched a guy who had probably one of the worst father experiences you can imagine. I, I've heard of others that would equal his, but man, not a whole lot that would be worse. And I watched men's fraternity set him free from the pains of the past to the point that he, uh, he really felt so moved, he went and stood at his father's grave and forgave his father 
Uh, it was an emotional moment, an emotional time. And as he did it and walked away, he said, but I'm not going to let that man rule my life any longer. And, and what we're about to study set him free. Now, some of you in this room may need to do something like that. Others of you had great fathers. But you know what? It's, it's, it's the freedom that came, the change that came for this one man is incredible. And it's kind of interesting because I bumped into him recently as I was getting ready to share some of this with you. And he said I could share it without, matter of fact, he got it and shared it with everybody. But he said, you know what, Chuck, it's stuck. It's stuck. I don't see myself being that man to my kids. I don't find those thoughts echoing in my mind anymore. Somehow, the transformation was so powerful, it just it removed it. And there are things that many of us at times have to have removed from our past, and we get set free from it. And as we're in here together, we want to see that happen. So, so those kinds of things can occur. Now, let me tell you that there's some basic presuppositions that we all have to grab hold of on this journey towards manhood that we need to hold on to. And if you have your book, we're going to get ready to do some of the fillings. The first is this. Manhood is in a state of confusion. Uh, the first thing to write in. Manhood is in a state of confusion. And, and that's kind of a presupposition that this study uh, uh, has to it. It's something that is just going to be taken for granted. But I think that you're going to agree with that. Men are searching for meaning about who they are. And many times we wonder, why am I like this? Or why can't I seem to conquer? Or why does this thing, this feeling haunt me? Why do I react the way I do? And why? Because men are searching for meaning and who they are. There's a problem in our country today called the passive male. Uh, as a matter of fact, uh, uh, I heard uh, Norman Wright, who's a very, very renowned counselor say that he believes if we could solve the problem of the passive male, we would change marriages and family to an extreme we can't even imagine. But I want to tell you this, the reason many men don't succeed in their vocational work is because they're passive. The many, reason many men don't succeed in their home is because they're passive. And by the way, this is what is really gets scary. A passive male can act way, way overly aggressively at times. They, they can explode when they shouldn't explode. They don't have the power. They don't have the control. Uh, and they find themselves not living from a healthy perspective. And the passive male is a huge problem today. It's a problem uh, vocationally, people succeeding, whether they should succeed or not. It's a problem in controlling their families. Let, let me just go ahead and get real honest to you. Being a pastor, do you know how many times I have complaints coming from men in the church? Almost none. Now, it's, if you have a complaint, I don't mind hearing it. If anybody has a complaint, I don't mind hearing it. But who do you think usually brings the complaint? And I want to say this not to be mean. Usually it's my husband and I. I'm like, where's your husband then? And I have done this before. I have told women, don't you come back without your husband and have him do the talking. I've watched as women spout it off with their husband standing there and see him be so embarrassed at what she's doing. And, and I'm thinking, you poor guy. I'm serious. You've seen it too, haven't you? And you know what? I'm not talking about being abusively or overly authoritarian, but there's got to be a time that a man says, well, honey, you don't act like that around me. By the way, I think if, if he did that in the beginning of the relationship, it never would have got to that point. And uh, I know some of you are saying, why aren't you saying that on Sunday mornings? It's going to come up on a Sunday morning. Uh, but, but, but I want you to know the passive male is a huge problem today. Along with the passive male, you ready to this? The absent father. The absent father. We have a fatherless society out there, and we're going to dig into that more a little bit tonight. But you know what? They, they, they say a father who's actually at home with this kid spends an average of two minutes in any kind of quality interaction, and, and it's not all that quality. You can't raise a son. You can't raise a daughter in two minutes a day. 
Uh, and, and you know what we got to understand is, is we got to grab hold of what it means to have a father who's a father in home and knows how to be a dad. And, and to be the man we're supposed to be, if God has blessed us with children, we've got to take that responsibility seriously. But now grab hold of this. This is what I, I kind of mentioned before. A Princeton researcher who's an expert in marketing said that they're having a huge marketing problem today in our society. And here's why. Because the 24-year-old man is in a state of such meltdown that he's not sure who he is. And the question is, how do you market to a 24-year-old guy who's not sure who he is? He's not sure what he wants. Now, if you're here and you're 25, you say, man, I know who I am. Praise God for you. And here's the good news. You're in such a minority, you can shine and excel. But, but a lot of guys who are 25 today aren't sure who they are. And they're not sure where they can assert themselves. And they're not sure what they should grab hold of. And they're not sure how they go and compete in a marketplace that seems to have the deck stacked against them. And they're not sure at times when they should say what they should say and not be allowed to say. That there's a culture that has just been welling up that has made it difficult for, for young men to be the men they're supposed to be. And a big part of that is because they don't have a dad teaching them and they don't have a place to learn it. Midlife crisis is too real today. As a matter of fact, I heard another researcher say this, and I hope this doesn't echo true to you, but if it does, I want you to know there's an answer. But he says this, the average 40-year-old male in this country today has a job he does not like, a wife he does not love, and kids who do not like him. And he said that's the average man today. Has a job he doesn't like, a wife he doesn't lo- does not love, and kids who don't love him, like him. Man, I hope that's not true. But you know what? I, I got to say this. Don't you think you could walk into work and pick out guys who that's true? It's all over the place. And uh, by the way, there's huge pain in men today. A lot of pain. Some comes from a dad who was never there or he was there in the wrong way. Some comes from major disappointments. You know what? You thought you were going to take the world and change the world and grab your dreams and live this amazing life and it just never occurred and you start to reach a place thinking, well, I'll just have to settle. It never will. There's pain in men because they can't even dream dreams anymore. There's pain in men because of major failures that occurred and they're not sure to get, how to get past it and how to overcome. And then the thing that probably we need to talk about a lot, and we'll get into it more later, is that there's a huge problem amongst men of being lonely, just lonely. It's not that there aren't other men around them, but very often they're not sure if that man knows who they are. Uh, and then the average man today, if you ask him, tell me, name four or five really, really quality friends who are men in your life. Uh, it's tough for them to name it and, and really get by with it. I do want to tell you we got to get the right definition of friendship, though, and we'll talk about that more in a minute because I think too often when we don't have the right definition, it stops us from understanding the kind of friends we could be. But we need to know people. We need to know people, and we need to feel that they know us. Proverbs 18, verse 1, we quote all the time because it's a, it's a plague in our society, both amongst men and women, but it says this, he who separates or isolates himself seeks his own desire and he quarrels against all sound wisdom. God has made you to be in connection with friends in lots of relational settings, but one thing God wants men to have are other men who are friends, who are quality friends in their life. Uh, God has a call for us to be different. Listen to what it says in 1 Corinthians 16, 13. It says to all of us, be on the alert, stand firm in the faith, act like men, be strong. Isn't that interesting? They're right in scripture and it's in a command. Act like a man. Be a man. And God's great desire is for that. And confused men create major problems. 
Not only are men in a state of confusion, a presupposition is this, and it's number B on your outline. Confused men create major problems. Now think about it. Uh, uh, Most students who are truant have an absent father. I think Dan Quayle was right. And you remember Dan Quayle when he got up and attacked Murphy Brown for bringing the wrong kind of a, a picture that, that a, when, when they stated in that particular comedy TV show that you know what, boys or a child doesn't need a father. Clearly, clearly that Dan Quayle was right. And you know what, social problems today rest at the feet of men. How many marriage problems are because of men? 90% of major crimes are committed by men. 91% of burglaries are committed by men. 94% of drunken drivers are men. Studies show over and over that the self-esteem of a child, both of boys and girls, the personal well-being of a daughter or a son is more closely tied to the father than to the mother. Now, now, study after study shows that. A quality mother is needed in every life, but don't miss this. When there's not a strong male figure... Girls feel something's missing and they tend to act out and try to fill the void in incredible ways. And when a strong father presence in his and a son's life, it creates huge problems of self-respect and well-being within that child. God has created a marriage to be of a man and a woman. I'll get into Prop 8 later. And, uh, uh, and, and he's created a child to need both, to need both. And, and the child needs a man in his life, a quality man. And when it's missing, tough things happen. You know, it's interesting. In John 5, verse 40, Jesus said these words. He said, you were unwilling to come to me so you might have life. You were unwilling to come to me so you might have life. God says, you know what? I want you to come and be who you're supposed to be. Come to me and start living the life you were meant to live and start being the person you're supposed to be. That's Jesus' great desire for us. But when we come, we've got to grab hold of what it means. If you're a dad, be a dad. If you're a man, be a man. If you're a brother, be a brother. Uh, If you go into a business setting, you be the best you can be. And that's God's great desire. And Jesus says, come and live this life I have for you. Grab hold of it. Remember what was said earlier? But if you're a man, act like a man. God's great desire is for that. The next thing, if you're writing in your book, is this. Confused men settle for less in their lives. This is a presupposition, and I think Lewis is right when he came to it. Confused men settle for less in their lives. Socrates said that the unexamined life is not worth living. And I think most of us would agree with that. When we just kind of go along with the flow and begin this kind of passive existence without passion, without a compelling vision, what happens is it it ends up being a difficult thing. Here's another thing that uh, another psychologist said. Are you ready for this? He goes, too many men get up at the same hour each morning, go to the same job, go to the same place for lunch, leave the same tip, take the same drive home, go to church and aren't sure why. They take a vacation they don't enjoy. They finally retire and they die of heart failure, maybe from repressed anger. But deep down, I think most men just die because they're bored. Isn't that an interesting thought? A guy who worked with men for years said, you know, I just see bored men. Uh, they don't have a lot to do. They don't have a passion what they're looking for. They aren't grabbing hold of life. They don't get up in the morning with great dreams. They don't go and say, man, I want to do something significant that will make an eternal difference. And by the way, God created you for that. God never created you to have a life that where you kind of look around and do it, go, does it matter? Oh, man, God wants it to matter. And every one of you were created for it. You know, what gets scary is uh, uh, we have a huge college ministry here, which I love, but it gets scary because you're ready for this? All the college guys you talk to, I go, what are you going to do? And they're like, oh, I don't know. 
It's like, man, okay, but you know, let's find it out and go for it. And, and then here's the thing. I find them getting ready to live the life everybody else is living. They, they don't have a compelling vision. They don't have a reason to go make a difference. So if something doesn't happen, a lot of 18, 19, and 20-year-old guys are going to end up at 40 looking back and saying, did it matter? They're, they're choosing uh, their relationships with women based on the wrong reasons. You know, I, I got to tell you that. By the way, just before I veer off too far, let me have you think of this. Average non-Christian person, what's the number one way they choose a relationship? It's looks. Guess what? The average Christian guy, what do they do to? Yeah, and you know what it says in Proverbs 31? It says that charm is deceitful and beauty is vain, but a woman who fears the Lord shall be praised. Now, I'm not saying that you shouldn't be attracted to someone based on looks at all, but I am saying this, a Christian man ought to look at a girl and say, oh, what a heart for God she has, that's who I want. But you don't hear that. You know, that, there's something missing. We got to get this right. We got to get this right. And, and we need to have a culture in the kingdom of God, a culture in the church at large, and a culture at Crossroads that says, we're not going to let go of this. And we don't mind the idea that the world doesn't like the fact that we're lifting up manhood. We don't mind the fact that we want strong men of God to take stands in this church and at home and in your workplace. We want men like that. You know, John 10.10 says this, there's a thief who comes only to steal and to kill and to destroy. Jesus said, but I have come that you might have life and life abundantly. There's all sorts of things ripping off men, keeping them from being who they should be. And the bottom line is Jesus said, but I came that you might have a different life. And remember part of what it says is this, and act like a man. Act like a man and grab hold of it. The next thing, there's a presupposition is this, is that there's a problem today because men do not have, there is no lofty vision of manhood today that is a compelling truth. If you're writing in your book, it says there's no lofty vision of manhood today that is compelling to a man. No compelling vision. Uh, who is the prototype of the greatest man who ever lived? What kind of, who's the man we want to emulate? Before you answer, I already know the answer. And, and I'm going to have you really over the coming weeks. If that's not the one name you'd name, I'm going to get you to see why. The answer is clearly the greatest man who ever lived is Jesus. He was a man's man. You know, they make movies about guys like him who stood in the face of death and didn't flinch. Matter of fact, Isaiah chapter 50, I love this. It's a prophecy of the coming of the Lord. He, Jesus, uh, talking about Jesus, he goes, he, he goes, I gave my face to them that they might rip out my beard and I wouldn't flinch. Now, I've got a beard. Anybody have a beard? If someone grabs it, I flinch. Jesus said, tear it out. I won't even move. Could you imagine when that happened? They grabbed him and ripped it out, and he just looked them in the eye. Then it said, I set my face like flint, and they struck it. And what they didn't know was causing sparks to go down to them that would literally cause them to burn. I mean, that's, that's pretty intense when you realize what Jesus went through. This is a man's man. This is a guy who wouldn't let peer pressure mold him. This is a guy who knew how to stand strong. This is a guy who knew intense strength, but would grab a child into his arms and cuddle that child and love him. By the way, at a time in the culture when they didn't do that. Jesus was the prototype of what a man should be, and we discover true manhood in Jesus. Paul throws out an amazing thought. I want you to think about this. 1 Corinthians 13, 11. He says, when I was a child, I used to speak like a child, think like a child, reason like a child, but when I became a man, I did away with childish things. When I became a man, I did away with childish things. Now, now that's, you know, childhood is wonderful when you're a child. But, but I hope every one of us could say those words. When I became a man, it changed. When I became a man, it was better. When I became a man, 
I look at childish things and I don't want anything to do with them anymore. Paul said, we need to be kind of people who press on. We move forward. And Philippians chapter 3 verse 12 says this, not that I have already obtained it, that very desire I have, who I want to be, or have already become perfect, but I press on so that I may lay hold of that for which I was laid hold of by Christ Jesus. Brethren, I do not regard myself as having laid hold of it yet, But one thing I do, and I want you to grab intentionality here. And a real man lives his life with intentionality. One thing I do. He says, forgetting what lies behind and reaching forward to what lies ahead. I press on toward the goal of the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. Let us, therefore, as many as are perfect... Have this attitude. And if anything, you have a different attitude. God will reveal that to you also. However, let us keep living by the same standard which we have attained. What's that standard? The standard is Jesus. And he says, I I press on to the call he has in my life. I desire to be like him. I want to move forward in my life. See, is there any better call in your life than being a man? Is there any better call than that? And Paul said, when I became a man, it changed. There was a change in me. And I did away with childish things. The next thing in your book you might want to write down is this, is the Bible has helpful insights to all the above. Now, now I want to just go ahead and take exception with that particular line. Uh, I, I'm not trying to say anything against Lewis. I love Robert Lewis. He's a great man. But when they did Men's Fraternity, he gets up and says, I just want you to know, from time to time, I'm going to refer to the Bible. Let me tell you, I'm going to refer to the Bible every single time we get together. There's only one book that makes a difference. And... Um, so I, don't, I would reword that. The Bible has helpful insights. How about the Bible has the insights we need above all. It's what's going to make the difference. Nothing's better than Scripture in training us for life. In 2 Peter chapter 1, it says that in the knowledge of Jesus, we find all things that pertain to life and godliness. So unapologetically, I want to tell you, the answer to being a man is Jesus. And the answer to finding the way to be a man is in God's word. And we have to be man enough to face up to this. And we've got to grab hold of it. And so there's no apology here. Every single week we're going to quote scripture. Every single week we're going to dig in. And we need to know it. Uh, It was kind of interesting. Uh, A particular pastor I know was asked to speak at a PTA in Newport Beach. I mean, this is like a very wealthy crowd. And he walked in and and he began to share truths about how to be a better parent and how to make a change for good. And as he was going and going and going, he got to the very end. He said, I just got to be honest with you. Uh, Everything I got from a book And everyone's like, oh. He said, yeah, there's this book and it had all this in it and I actually copied it. It's not my original thoughts. I just thought I'd tell you that. And if you'd like the title of the book, get ready. And so all these these parents are pulling out paper and they're getting ready to write. He goes, you ready? It's Bible. And they're like, what? He goes, yeah, it's the Bible. And they're like, oh. He goes, no, no, no. Did you notice? It's the Bible. Have you ever noticed that's kind of the reaction in the world today? Like, I got this great idea. Here's what it is. Oh, wow, where'd you get it? The Bible. Oh. But you know, if you hear it's some other book, they run and get it. But the Bible always stands. It's always true. It works. It's, it's, it's made for the perfecting of the soul. It's made for transformation. It changes everything about who we are. And we need to grab a hold of that and get to it. Now, the next part of the, the outline, if you grab it, is the historical root of our present crisis in masculinity. Now, I want to make sure and get through this with you because I think it's important to grab hold of. What is the historical root of our present crisis in masculinity? Because I, I think... When Lewis got this stuff together, he was right. You ready? First of all, it was the Industrial Revolution. The Industrial Revolution took men away from their homes and from their families. 
Prior to the Industrial Revolution, almost all men worked in the proximity of their home or family. And when they did, they would take their son along with them. If you were in farming, when your son was old enough, you'd take him out on the farm with you. And the son would spend all day with his father. If you were a blacksmith, as soon as he was old enough, you took him into the family business. And the son would spend all day with his father. And then when the Industrial Revolution came, the father left home and spent almost all of his time away from his son. So what happened is that he didn't get to work next to dad. And so what happened is he might not even see his dad when his dad got up. And when his dad came home, the father was so tired, he didn't have quality time to spend with him. And just think about that. That was a major cultural shift in our country from where a son was raised next to his father to a father who just by virtue of being away wasn't there. Uh, I don't hope it's not totally true today, but I got to tell you this. When I was doing youth ministry in Corona in the 80s, I remember uh, uh, one of my most difficult problems is this, I, getting a student to get their permission slip signed. And I would have high school students tell me this. They would say, you know what? My mom and dad get up before I get up. And when I wake up, they're not there. And I get my own breakfast. And then when I come home, they're not there because they're not home. And then when I go to my sport or I come to church, they've just gotten home. And when I get home, they're already in bed. I don't know how I'm going to get them to sign it. I don't ever see my parents. And I know we are a high commuter area, and there are a lot of kids, I'm going to guess today, that still go through that. Teenagers that need mom and dad there, need pouring in their lives. And I know how difficult it is, but we got to find a way to make time to do it. But the Industrial Revolution began to, to create a world uh, where, where sons, especially sons, were not around their fathers. And then the Industrial World Revolution helped create a world where sons were raised by women. Now, I want you to think about that. Dad was gone, so mom raised them. And then when they went to, to school, almost all teachers were what? women. So they're now got a woman teaching them. And then when they go to Sunday school, guess what? It's almost always a woman teacher. And so the spiritual shaping in a child's life too often is just women. Uh, the being raised in the home is just the mom. And then when they go to school, it's women. I mean, even today, the vast majority of you who are sitting here, 90% of your knowledge and upbringing came from women. What's happened? Where, where's the father? Where's men pouring into students' lives, into children's lives, into people's lives? Alan Carlson, a sociologist, said this, we've seen the death of the patriarchy. And that's not a good thing. You know, we talk about the patriarch in the family. Well, he doesn't tend to exist. And here's the scary thing. When we ask the idea, will you become that person? Uh, the society rebels against it, says there's not supposed to be one. But there really is a need for it. Then World War II came along and created another change beyond the Industrial Revolution. Uh, men went away to war. And while they were at war, they learned something. You can't, you can't embrace your feelings too tightly. A war that was so terrible and so intense, men earned, learned honor and responsibility. They learned to take the shots. They learned to put up with great pain. But what happened is they came back now not only physically disconnected, but emotionally disconnected from their families. The idea of sitting and sharing deeply with their children of their thoughts and hopes and dreams. The idea of digging into their feelings emotionally created this amazing emotional disconnect. And so when you went from a physically disconnected father to a whole generation of emotionally disconnected men, and that's what was passed down to more and more sons. And we're not against the World War II generation at all. It probably was the greatest generation in selflessness and honor and sacrifice. But the problem is there was a repercussion to it. And so not only the Industrial Revolution changed how men live and are raised, and World War II changed it. You ready for this? The rise of feminism changed it. Now, I 
am not even going to apologize. And I know this is being taped and I'll go out and I'll take every email we can on it. But the reality is this. There is some good in the rise of feminism. I do believe, by the way, and you may not, but I agree in, in equal pay for equal work. I'm not against strong women rising up and excelling in their lives. There's no problem with that. But you know, I want to say the answer to women being given rights and the answer to women being able to excel and able to compete in the workforce, the answer isn't that we should stop that, but the answer also is not that we shouldn't allow men to compete on equal footing. And the answer isn't we shouldn't allow men to be men. You see what happens when a man stands up and and begins to exert himself as a man, very often he comes under attack. I want you to think about this. How many movies do you see that show a female character having equal physical stature to a man? Think about it. You know, you see, all of a sudden they're going into war and the girl is just as good as fighting as the guy. They, they go into a combat scene and the girl competes at the same level of the guy. Well, let me ask you how accurate that is. If I take the average man and the average woman and I have them have a fight, who's going to win? Come on, we know the answer. But not in the movies. Think about Jurassic Park. In Jurassic Park, the little boy's a quivering coward and the girl rises up against the dinosaur. That's the new theme in all movies today. And whenever it's any different, we act like they we're putting women down. But the reality is, is there is a difference between us. There's a physical difference between us. Now, I'm not saying there's not a woman out there that couldn't beat me up. But I think for every woman that could beat me up, I could find a man that could take her. Uh, you know, <laughs> that's the bottom line. And the truth of the matter is, there's almost all of you in here, you could take 90% of the women all at once. No, not really. But, uh, but that's what we're seeing. The reality is, is we have a problem with this. Now, I want to tell you something, too. As a guy who was a youth pastor for, for you know, 20-some years, and I did camps every single year, and every single camp, guess what happened? There was always a fear factor. You get a bunch of students together at camp, and all of a sudden, and I'm talking about high school and junior high, all of a sudden, this fear rose up, and I have crying people. Oh, there's someone trying to break in, and, and, and we had the tan man who everybody was afraid of, and we had the glowing man, everybody. But by the way, when I say everybody, is that true? What was the side of camp that had the crying people? It was the girls. And it was easy to get the girls scared. And when the girls got scared, they wanted the guys to come save them. And the guys did want to come save them. You know why? There's a difference there. Men tend to be courageous. Men tend to strand with strength. Now, i got to be honest that study after study shows that women tend to have a higher degree of intelligence than we do. But you know what, I'll go with that. But here's the point is, it's not wrong for a man to be a man. And it's not wrong for a man to say that there's something about having strength and something about conquering and something about being different. Uh, Gender studies are kind of interesting. They found that when they they, they took three to four-year-old little boys and they put them in a room with toys, they put dolls over here and they put trucks over here. Do you know what they found? is they found almost every time they opened the door to the room, they, all the girls gravitated to the dolls and sat with them. And, and the little boys tended to go to the trucks. Now, some of the little boys went to the dolls. But, but what you need to know is this. They found out when the little boys went to the dolls, they tended to play with them differently. Sometimes they picked up the doll and brought them to the truck and ran them over. <laughs> you know, uh, they tended sometimes to beat them in the head, you know, on the wall. Or they, There was a difference there, especially in this. They found this. Girls tended to hold the dolls and talk with them. They tended to name them. They tended to carry on conversations. This to me is a little weird. They would go up to little three or four-year-old little girls and say, what are you doing? And they would tend to say, I'm playing with my friend. And then they would say, what are you doing? And say, well, I'm talking with her. And then the question was, does your friend talk back? 
And here's what gets scary. All the girls said, yeah, she does. I don't know about you. That's a horror movie, Talking <laughs> Tina. I, do you know little boys didn't seem to say that? There was a difference in how they were wired. Even when they did it, there was this difference. And over and over, we see this happening. And the thing is, we shouldn't be afraid of it. And we shouldn't try to create a society that pushes it away. And that's what's going on today. There's a state of confusion going on. And, and the rise of feminine f- feminism is a part of it. Now, I really believe with all my heart that I'm not down on women or anti-women. I'm not against empowering women. By the way, I would have voted for Elizabeth Dole in a second. And, uh, you know, you might be a Democrat and wouldn't agree with me, but I thought she was one of the hottest presidential candidates we could ever have. And, uh, by the way, I'll go ahead and tell you, I like Palin, too. Uh, And she might be able to take me. But anyway, uh, whether you agree with that or not, the bottom line is I'm not against a woman being president or rising up. And I don't know whether you are or not, but that doesn't mean that men can't be men. And, And we need to grab a hold of that. Now, there are five promises I want you to grab hold of as we get ready to end tonight. Five promises uh, that we need to try to grab hold of. Number one, as we go through this time together, you're going to get a clear definition of what it means to be a man. One that you can write down, one you can memorize, one you can attain to. The second thing is this. You're going to develop a whole new language. As we get together here, we're going to come, come up with our own way of talking and speaking. We're, we're going to talk about things like the boy must die. We're not going to mean that meanly. By the way, I don't want to scare your sons to death when you walk out of going here, the boy must die. But, uh, but we're going to see why. We're going to talk about rejecting passivity. We're going to talk about, grab this one, the king in you must guide your life. One that you've probably heard before, but we're going to hit over and over. A true man is a servant leader. Uh, we're going to talk about what is the difference between the feminized man and the real man. We're going to talk about leading courageously. We're going to talk about manhood wounds, wounds that, that very often keep us from being who we're supposed to be. And then we're talking about unpacking our life and looking inside it and how can we make a difference. And we're going to use terms like that. And when we do, we're all going to know. And when you talk to someone else who's been a part of the study, you'll be able to talk deeply and quickly. We're going to make a significant personal discovery about ourselves. By the way, I want to tell you, I really feel like I did. When I went through this study, I began to see myself and understand things about me that got me. And I'm hoping to communicate with you in the same way so you'll be able to walk out in a few weeks going, man, that makes sense. Man, I, I understand myself better. And when we understand ourselves, it helps us to grow. Uh, so you know what? We're going to begin to understand what that's like and to look underneath it. A lot of us have manhole covers on. You ever see a manhole cover in the street? And you know what is, if you have to get one of those up and look down on what's underneath the street, it's helpful if you have the right tool. If you don't have the right tool, you can hurt yourself, you could you wreck the tool you're trying to use. And what we're going to use is the right tool to take off the manhole cover and look inside ourselves and say, God, help me see what's here. Help me grab hold of this. Don't let me run from it. The other thing we want to do is, is we want to make friends. Uh, a dream at Crossroads is we have a passionate commitment to community. And so I'm hoping we start to get to know each other better and better. And that no one walks out of this room without knowing four or five other guys and starting to know them well. And then the other thing I want you to grab hold of is, is uh, we want to have a, a personal plan to achieve manhood and success in our life. You know, I, I want to tell you, if you don't have a written plan and written goals, I think you're already in trouble. Uh, Proverbs 21 verse 5 says, The plans of the diligent lead surely to advantage, but everyone who is hasty comes surely to poverty. Notice the promise there, surely, surely. You will surely have an advantage or abundance if you have a plan and you stick to your plan diligently. But if you don't have a plan, God says in the end, you're going to find your life less than and impoverished. That's the word of God. 
And so we need to have intentional written goals that we're seeking after and action steps to take to get there. And and we're going to start to discover how we can do that. And and some of it will be generalized that we all need to buy into. A lot of it will become specific as we really talk about how do you make a plan in your life so that your life has meaning and significance and you have intentionality to move that way. But the best way to be a man without a doubt is to be around a man. And that's why, you know, the Industrial Revolution, World War II, feminized society. It tended to rob us about that. But the best way to be a man is to have a close relationship with a man. And here's the relationship I want to make sure we all have. It's a relationship with Jesus, the greatest man who ever lived. As you tie into him, as you behold him, as you look at him, it transforms you into the balanced man, the real man we're supposed to be. You know, we just finished a study of 2 Corinthians, but let me read a passage again from it. 2 Corinthians chapter 3 verse 12. It says, therefore, having such a hope, we use great boldness in our speech and are not like Moses, who used to put a veil over his face so that the sons of Israel would not look intently at the end of what was fading away. But there, their mind was hardened. Why? Because they kept putting veils on. They kept covering up. They kept hiding. But their minds were hardened for until this very day, at the reading of the old covenant, the same veil remains unlifted because it is only removed in Christ. But to this day, when Moses is read, a veil lies over their heart. But whenever a person turns to the Lord, whenever we actually give our life to Christ, what happens? The veil is taken away. Now, what is he saying? And there's a lot to it, but for sake of time, let me just say it fast. He says, many of us are are putting things, covering up. We're hiding. We're not, and, and there's some wisdom to not always just being bold and blurting. But the problem is very often we hide the truth from ourselves. We hide who we really are. We, we pretend a lot and we try to put on fronts. And it says, but when you come to Jesus, he takes all that away. And when you see who you are really, guess what? Jesus says, I love you for who you are and I want to transform you. And that transformation becomes amazing. But it always starts with the lifting of the veil. And it says this, it says in verse 17, Now the Lord is the Spirit, and where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is liberty. But we all with an unveiled face, beholding as in a mirror the glory of the Lord, are being transformed into the same image from glory to glory, just as from the Lord, just as from the Spirit. How does transformation take place? The ultimate answer is the more we can get a clear view of Jesus is, and we can say to Jesus, take away the veil. I want to be honest about who I am. I want you to transform me. And then as you behold him, transformation happens. And we're going to dig into that more and more as we get together. So now I want to ask the most important question of the night. Do you have an intimate relationship with him, a real man? And Jesus said, I want you to behold me. I want to be close to you. I want to come live with you. You know, I was fortunate enough, like I said, to have a dad who was a great man. He really was. And uh, I'll tell you what, when he died, man, there was a void there. It was missing. You know, when I watched my uh, youngest son get married and my father wasn't in the room, I thought, you're missing, Dad. Uh, Now that I've become the senior pastor at Crossroads, he would have been here. My dad would have, was here faithfully. He would have been here on a night like this. He would have been here. And I can tell you what I would have done. I would have walked over and said, Dad, how was it? Because I, I love that man and I, I respected that man. And when he was gone, I was missing. But here's the good news. Jesus said, I'm never missing. If you'd open your heart to me, he says, I'll come and be close. And I know now when I walk out of here, just so you know, I, I get to a side place very often. And I say, Lord, how'd I do? 
And, and I want to know that I am pleasing him. And I want to know I'm living with him. And I want to ask you, is that what you're doing in your life? Are you so close to him that, you know, you get away a little bit at night and say, Lord, was I the husband I should be? Lord, was I the friend I should be? Lord, how? And, and, and let him begin to talk with you. And God's desires that you have that kind of an intimate relationship with him. And the more you understand that, you understand what it means to be who you were made to be. And not in someone else's mold. And that's the last thing we're going to do to you is try to put you in anybody's mold other than the one God created for you. But it starts with an intimate relationship with him. And tonight... Tonight, if you don't know Jesus, if you're not close to him, if you're not living life with him, I'm going to challenge you to do something. I'm going to challenge you right where you're sitting to pray a prayer with me where you'll commit your life to him. Let's pray. Father, for us to be who we should be, to live the life that we need to live and we were made to live, then Father, I know more than anything, we need a relationship with you that's real and close. We need to see you, God, as our Father and let you be the Father that we love. We need to see you, Jesus, as the man you were when you walked the earth, but even more who you are today. And Lord, we need to allow your Spirit to cause us to behold you. And maybe we can't see you with our eyes, but Lord, we can get so close to you, the transformation happens. And I pray for those of us who know you tonight, open our eyes more and more to who you are and help us, Lord, to have the veil taken away again and again and and to never put it back on. But I pray tonight, if there's a man in this room here who needs to commit their life to you or recommit their life to you, I pray tonight they would know this is the most important step they could take in being the man they're supposed to be. So I ask, Lord, that your Holy Spirit move and I ask that you touch and stir. And I ask tonight if someone needs to come to you or they need to come back to you, that they would want to do it. I want to ask that we keep praying. Right now, if you're right with God, would you pray as a man of God for other men who need to make this decision? But I'm going to ask you right now that if you need to commit your life to Christ or recommit, I'm going to ask you to do this. I'm going to ask you to whisper a prayer with me and I'll say a line and let you pray it. But I'd like to know if God's calling you to pray this prayer, if he really is, would you let me know you're going to pray this prayer with me by lifting your hand in the air and looking at me and then you can put it down. Praise God. That is so awesome, man. Praise the Lord. Praise God for you and for you right here. Praise God. Back here too. Wow. Praise the Lord. Praise God for you. Man, that is awesome. Over here for you and for you over here too. Praise the Lord. Praise God for you too, man. Wow. Praise God for you. Wow. For every single one of you, all over the room, there are people. Uh, Guys, men, praise the Lord. Right here for you too. Praise God. And right back there and up there. All of you that God's touching, let's whisper this prayer together. Say these words with me. Say, Lord Jesus, I know you love me. And I know you love me so much that you died on the cross to forgive me of my sins, to heal me of my hurts, to take away the veil, to help me be who you made me to be, to draw me close to you. So I say yes. And I open my heart to you. I want this and I want you. So please fill me with your presence. Fill me with your love. And help me be who you created me to be. And help me live the life you have for me to live. And this I pray in Jesus' name, amen.